Father God, I thank you for the story of Esther. I thank you for your working in there, even though you're not named, you work. And I thank you that in our lives, even though we can't see you, and oftentimes we forget to name you, you are still working, and you are achieving your good purposes in and through us. Amen. So we're in Esther chapter six. I think we're over halfway now. Um, and just to recap on some of the like, characters and the, the background that affect this story, Mordecai is the guy the king is honoring. And a few chapters ago, he saved the king's life from a threat um, and wasn't recognized for it. I don't know if ever you've done something good or something you think you should have been recognized for and you weren't. It's frustrating, but Mordecai keeps his head down. Um, but a chapter later, he refuses to bow to Haman. And so Haman has it out for Mordecai. Mordecai is now Haman's number one enemy. And it's part of the reason why Haman wants to exterminate the Jews is because Haman is refusing to bow to, uh, Mordecai is refusing to bow to Haman. And in chapter five, there's a, there's a point where Haman is just walking by the gates and he sees Mordecai and he starts fuming and he gets furious. Um, and Haman is the one who suggests to the king, oh, we need to honor the guy you delight to honor in this way, and it kind of backfires, so that's fun. Um, and then also the, the third character in the story is the king, who we have looked a lot at, and from the beginning of this series, we have seen time and time again that he is not a good king. Um, and in this story, he's struggling to sleep. It kind of seems that he remembers to reward and recognize Mordecai by accident. Um, and he doesn't even know how to honor Mordecai on his own accord. He needs to ask Haman, one of his drunk advisors, for, for help. Oh, what should we do to honor someone? Um, so those are the three main characters, the king, Haman, and Mordecai. And I want to start with a couple of like random thoughts before I jump into the talk, because sometimes when you prepare a talk, there's just a lot you want to say, and you can't fit it all in, so I just want to, these two random things, if you forget them, it's fine. If you, they stay in your head and you're like, oh, this is a rabbit hole and you end up spending the whole sermon thinking about them, that's God. Um, the first is the struggling to sleep. The, the whole story starts because the king is struggling to sleep. Um, and as I've got older, I've found it more and more difficult to get to sleep. Um, I think I have it quite lucky. Most nights I sleep well, but I know for some people, struggling to sleep is something that really affects them. I was on holiday a few weeks ago with some friends and I just asked them out of curiosity before I knew I was preparing for this. And I was like, how often do you struggle to sleep? And all three of them said more than once a week. And that's crazy. And I don't know if that affects other people in the church, but actually I want you to be encouraged. If you struggle to sleep, it might be that God wants to use you. And so what happens for me when I struggle to sleep is I go, oh, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, and I try and force myself to sleep, and then I worry that I'm not sleeping, and then I'm like, oh, it's two o'clock in the morning. But maybe another solution would be to pray and say, God, is there someone you want me to bless? Is there someone you want me to help? Is there someone you need me to recognize that I've not recognized or thank that I've not thanked? Um, we looked at the story of Abraham a few last year, I think, and chapter 12 is like, you will be a blessing to the nations, and through your children, 
they will bless the nations too. And the Bible talks about how we are Abraham's descendants. And so we're invited to be a blessing to the communities and the people around us. And if you're struggling to sleep, it might be God inviting you to be a blessing to people. Um, the second tidbit is Haman and Mordecai. Haman is an Agagite, and Mordecai is a Benjaminite, which obviously we don't really think too much about. But there's a story about 500 years before where a Benjaminite has a problem with an Agagite. And uh, it's the story of King Saul, and God tells him, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites and completely destroy them. And that's a theological issue in it of itself. Um, but Saul decides to disobey, and he spares the king of Agag. Saul is a Benjaminite, and he spares the king of Agag. And 500 years later, potentially Haman, a son of this king, is seeking to threaten and exterminate the Jews. Sometimes God asks us to obey, and it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense in that day, that week, that year, or even in our generation. We need to obey God anyway, because the consequences could be felt generations down the line. So those are the two things. Um, obey even if you don't see the results, and if you're struggling to sleep, maybe ask God, how can I uh, bless someone? So we'll come to the, the, the talk again. Um, this is a very bad king. We've established he objectifies women. He's done some horrible things in the preceding chapters. Um, Tom pointed out that he's frequently drunk throughout this, and I'd never seen that before. And I read it in chapter 3, it says, And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. So you've got the leaders drunk and the city in chaos, and they don't seem too bothered about it. He is a bad king. He's angry. He shows signs of pride, and as I said, he, it's like he accidentally remembers to honor Mordecai. He, he forgets initially, and then just by chance one night when he's struggling to sleep, he's like, oh yeah, we need to like, honor the people who look after me. Um, and he asks Haman, who is not the best advisor, for advice on how to do that because he seems incompetent to bless himself. But yet, this king, this evil king, this contemptible king, this not very competent king, actually does manage to honor Mordecai. In verse 7 and 8, um, Haman says, um, in order to, to honor Mordecai, what, what would the king delight to honor more than me? He says, for the man the king delights to honor, let royal robes be bought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head is a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over, and dress the man who the king delights to honor, and lead him on that horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus should be done to the man the king delights to honor. And the king's like, that's a great idea. Don't leave out anything. Do it all. This evil king is able to honor Mordecai. He honors him with royal robes. He puts him on a horse. I think it's the king's own horse with a royal crest. In some translations, that's a, that's a crown. And he parades Mordecai through the streets. I honor you. I honor you. This evil king who was totally able and willing to honor Mordecai manages to do it. 
And it reminds me of that verse in Matthew, where Jesus is talking about fathers, Matthew 7. And he he talks about fathers and he says, look, um, which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And which one of you asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, you fathers who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Maybe we could paraphrase that. If King Xerxes then, who is evil, drunk, uh, forgetful, advised by equally evil men, knows how to honor Mordecai, how much more will the king of kings honor you? Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. God is a good king who is able to honor us. He remembers to honor us, and he has honored us. And in many ways, yeah, he has. In the the story of Esther, Mordecai is given robes as part of the honor package. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 61.10, he has covered me with the robes of righteousness. He has done this. If you're a Christian here today, we have been robed in righteousness. He's paraded through the streets. This is the one the king delights to honor. In Revelation 3, 5, it says, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And I, Jesus, will confess his name before my Father in heaven. Jesus goes before us into heaven, confessing our name to the Father. Jesus will say, Paul, he's my friend. He's my friend. What an honor. Thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. There's a crown involved. I think from reading it, the crown is put on the horse. It's a royal crest put on the horse. I'm not quite sure how that works. But uh, our king gives us a crown on our heads, not on a horse's head, on our heads. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the king of kings, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Do we love Jesus? If so, he seeks to honor us with a crown of righteousness. In James, he says, the man who endures will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. A crown of righteousness, a crown of life and a crown of glory. In 1 Peter 5.4, this is specifically talking about elders, so this applies to Tom. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. God delights to honor us. Thus shall it be done to the man the king delights to honor. Xerxes, awful king, honoring Mordecai by chance. Our God, the king of kings, the good king, I want to honor you. I want to honor you individually as my followers and in community as St. Christopher's and as the church. Thus shall it be done. Leave nothing out. We're talking a lot about honor in this story and why. Is this even the gospel? 
Because often when we think about the gospel, it's about being forgiven. We're, we're sinful, uh, we're guilty, and God forgives us. And we think that's the gospel. But the gospel is massive. It covers so many areas. We're sinful, but God makes us righteous. We're slaves, slave to fear, slave to sin, and God frees us. There's a power uh, paradigm in the gospel. We're powerless, and when, we, when we're saved, God gives us power. We're orphans, and then the gospel through Jesus makes us sons and daughters. The gospel is massive, and likewise, we go from dishonor to honor. God takes us in our shame and our brokenness, forgotten by society, forgotten by the kings of this world, and he says, no, I delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord takes great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. God delights to honor us. Let me just share a story. I have a friend who's a missionary to India, and he goes to India quite a lot, and honor is a massive part of their culture. And there are, there's a, a caste system, at least where he goes, and, and some people in a lower caste aren't honored in the same way as people in, in a higher caste. And he says when, whenever there's baptisms in the church, one of the things that happens is everyone, whatever caste you're in before, gets baptized in the same water, and it's an honor statement. You are honored to be baptized in the same water as someone in a higher caste. God brings us the gospel, and it's a gospel of honor. Probably one of the most powerful stories in the Bible about honor is the prodigal son. You know, he goes away reckless living. He, he, he lives badly. He dishonors his father. He runs away. He spends all his money. He feeds pigs, which in that culture is, is, is bad. And then he, he longs to eat their food, and he goes, oh, if I just return, you know, I could be a servant. And when the father sees him, he honors him. He runs out to meet him. He puts a ring on his finger. He hosts a party to celebrate. God honors us. This is really good news, especially for those of us who don't feel honored. But this honor isn't cheap. The robe of righteousness that we've received, the crown of life, the crown of glory, of, of righteousness, isn't cheap. John 19, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. So while we're receiving a crown of righteousness, a crown of honor, of glory, he's receiving a crown of thorns. And they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no guilt in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robes. And Pilate said, behold, this man, despised, dishonored, rejected, 
Later, he is paraded through the streets, not this is the man the king delights to honor. But look at him, stripped. His clothes are stripped off him and then betted and divided away. The honor that we've received was not cheap. The honor the king delights to give you came at the cost of his honor. And we need not forget, he still delights to give it to us. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He delights to give us, even though it comes at such a high price. And so while we are the king's subjects and he delights to honor us, there is one the king delights to honor more than us, more than Mordecai, more than us, and that is Jesus. And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and your blood you ransomed people for gods from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them from dishonored people to a kingdom of priests before our gods, and they shall reign on the earth. And the living creatures and the elders raised their voices and they said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. God delights to honor Jesus. And the heavenly beasts, the heavenly creatures are honoring Jesus. And again, in Philippians 2, we, we read this quite a lot. Jesus Christ, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted, has highly honored him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And while heaven is honoring Jesus, we have a choice right now. Do we honor Jesus too? Do we delight to honor Jesus? Or we like Haman in this story, who goes home to his wives, oh, I had to honor Mordecai today. How annoying. Works against everything I wanted. Do we delight to honor Jesus? Do we lay our robes, our possessions, our resources, our time, our money at his feet and say, have this, be honored? Do we lay our crowns, our will, our desires, our, our, our right to lead ourselves and do what we want? And we lay that down and instead be led by his spirit. Do we lay down our voices, our witness at work in our families, and declare and worship that Jesus be honored?
Father God, I thank you that, um, I thank you that you have honored us and that when we became Christians, you showed that you delighted to honor us, that you've given us robes and crowns that we don't deserve. I thank you for the cross where you were dishonored for us. Lord, I pray that as we go through our lives, we would honor you. That we would delight to honor you. I thank you that we get to do that. Amen. Can I do one more thing? And that's read from Psalm 8. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of mouths of babies and infants you have established your strength because of your foes. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly creatures and have crowned him with glory and honor. The last thing I wanted to say is that the honor that God gives us as Christians is great, but there is also an honor God has given to all of humanity. Every human we interact with, every person, whether we like them or not, is worthy of honor because God has made them in such a way. And so as Christians, let us be joyful to honor those whom Christ delights to honor. Let's not be like Haman or the older brother in the prodigal son who's like, why are you giving him a party? Let's not be bitter or envious that God delights to honor others by grace. But let's be prepared to suffer dishonor for others. Amen.